great day, amazing human. Welcome to the Empowered In My Skin podcast, where our mission is to help 1 billion people in this world think in more empowering ways. Empower humans, empower humans. So you are in the right spot to become a lead domino for empowerment today. My name is Inke Chi. I'm not only your host, but I am a vibrant optimist obsessed to bring you empowering content with each episode. We will be bringing you content alternating between longer episodes with feature guests and shorter episodes called Empowering Bites, where I'll be joined by my co-host, Gabby Mamone. So if you're ready, let the show begin. Great day, amazing humans. Yes, welcome to the next episode of Empowered in My Skin, the podcast. As you know, we are celebrating November, men's health this month. And why? Why is that important? Well, one in nine men will be diagnosed with prostate cancer in their lifetime. Testicular cancer is the most commonly diagnosed cancer in young Canadian men. In 2019, over 3,000 men died by suicide, nearly 59 men per week. And in Canada, three out of four deaths by suicide are men. And suicide is the second leading cause of death among Canadian males aged 15 to 44 years. So November is a crucial role in breaking down the stigma surrounding men's health by providing a platform for open discussions and promoting early detection and treatment. And in this episode, we are going to do exactly that. So I've assembled an amazing mantle, okay, a mantle, a mantle, a mantle of mantle. I don't have to say it's of men, but I will. A uh, mantle of men. I get them to introduce themselves because each of them have a very, very dynamic personality and background and really, really excited to get into the conversations with them. So without further ado, I'm going to start with just alphabetical order. I'm going to go over to Alan Keller. Tell us a little bit about yourself. And Katie, love the energy as always. Uh, I am an international keynote speaker, mental health advocate, proud father of four kids and three dogs. Grateful to be here. I love it. I love it. Okay, next we're going to go to Funk. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm excited to be here and share all of my knowledge. I'm Funk Roberts, former professional athlete turned online fitness entrepreneur. And I also run the Over 40 Alpha Brotherhood, which is a membership site with 18,000 men from all over the world who are changing their bodies, their lives, and the lives of others. Thank you, Funk. And then over to Garrett Nock. i honored uh, to be here and uh, get to... Uh dive into this incredible topic. Uh, I am a fitness entrepreneur uh, running both an in-person studio and a virtual studio. I'm a proud husband, father of a six-year-old daughter, and I'm extremely passionate about talking about, you know, the masculinity norms in fatherhood, but also within the fitness industry and just helping us, uh, helping us put out there what needs to be out there to help us all evolve and grow. And Gareth, you're making me feel like I should be standing. You're standing, right? <laughs> I am. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, next up is uh, Quasi. Uh, yeah, I appreciate being around all these wonderful people. Uh, my name is Quasi. I'm a former RCMP police officer. And now what I do is I help students and educators build mental health and resilience. I go to schools all over North America and I just speak life into them and remind them that in life, it's not what you go through. It's what you can grow through. And I'm happy to be here. 
I love it. And all of you just like in your short little bio have already started to empower the masses. But I do have to ask this question. Okay, we are recording on a, it's a Saturday. So thank you very much for loaning me your Saturday afternoon. And um, I want to know what was your most empowering thought of the day that you've had so far. So I'm going to start with you, Funk. For me, my most empowering thought of the day was um, and is well, I'm actually about to launch a nutrition book. So, you know, for me, it's it's like, uh, you know, living what I talk, right? Mm. So, you know, right off right off the bat in the morning, I, I went downstairs, talked to my wife. Okay, so what are we doing today in nutrition? Like, are we fasting? Are we, because we have, we have somewhere to go. So, you know, it's just like, what are we doing? Kind of, kind of pre-planning today's nutrition based on, on what, what our plans are. But, you know, for me, it's just kind of my empowering thing is just, being able to share the importance of nutrition mm. as we get older, nutrition for, for physique change, nutrition for hormone balance and nutrition for overall health. So yeah. that's pretty much what I'm empowering my and empowering thoughts. Today. Super key. And I, I'm already actually empowered because I think I just turned 50. I know it's hard to believe eh? anyway, and, uh, and it's different. It's actually different. I actually like that you and Angela have that question for yourselves in the morning. So Alan, your most empowering thought of the day so far. Walk the talk. Same. Um, you know, the reality is like with my challenges with mental health are very much, you know, still a roller coaster. And uh, this afternoon I'm, I'm seeking help seeing uh, uh, another healer. So I just, there's work to be done. And the reality is even after like, man, 15 years of professional speaking, it's, it's, it's crazy that it's still hard to, uh, be vulnerable, you know, and, 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 and get the help that I know I need. So it's, it's just owning it. um, stepping into it. The more that uh, I embrace it, I guess, over time, the easier it becomes. And I, I, you know what, Alan, I, I just met you and I'm so empowered by the work that you're doing. I'm so empowered by the honesty that you just shared. So thank you, Gareth, most empowering thought of the day. Definitely just sitting and kind of thinking forward to this conversation I was the most empowering thing was knowing that I just came out of the back of this like a week ago on a talking on a panel mm. and seeing how impactful it was. And I was blown away by the amount of messages, mm. the amount of follow up, like all of us that were on the panel have been in nonstop conversations about where this goes in the future mm-hmm. and continuing that conversation about men, mental health, masculinity, mm-hmm. all these things that are related to what we're talking about today. So just knowing that it touched so many people and that I learned so much the more of these conversations I can have the better. Mm-hmm. And Kwesi, round it up. Uh, yeah, empowering moment for today is that presence is power. Um, and luckily I was last, I had a chance to think about it. Uh, <laughs> I have a four-year-old son and just being present with him in the backyard, it's so beautiful to just be in the moment and not have to think about anything else. And every audience I speak to, whether it's uh, I speak to students, educators, and police officers, um, that's... Uh, constant throughout all those talks is set time for presence to practice presence because it's so peaceful to bring that into your life yeah and so Kwesi, I'm going to just stay with you and this is a this is a, a question that I just want a, like a discussion point actually for all of us so what I'm putting into this space is our childhood our upbringing societal norms they all play a play they all play an important part in who we are on today and so, Kwesi, just starting with you, you know, can you maybe talk about how that's influenced the man that you are on today? 
Oh yeah, I like that. Uh, going right there. It's funny when I ever, whenever I appear on a podcast, I never prepare. I don't actually. I didn't even share the question. I just kind of like okay, what comes to my mind when the question is asked? First thing that came to my mind is that my father had five children from five different women, and he was what you would call a womanizer. Yeah, and it's funny because you see things that happen in your childhood, and unless you say to yourself consciously, "I'm not going to be that," you can probably end up becoming that. And for a lot of my life, I became that, right? I, you know, I lied, I cheated, all this nonsensical stuff I did when I was younger. And I prided myself on how many women I had in my life. And I'll just be honest, that's how I was in my 20s and 30s. And I realized now that I'm married to one woman, I love her to death. It's just me and her. Um, I realized that your childhood does play a part in who you become. And I don't want to use that as an excuse or give anyone a reason to use it as an excuse, but it is an explanation mm. as to why you are the way you are. And when you look into it and you're aware of it, awareness is the greatest agent of change. So that's how I've been able to say, okay, this is who I was. Now I have to look forward and say, this is who I'm going to be. So that's what came to my mind. This is you asked the question. I love that. And uh, Funk, because you're putting up your thumb, you know, what do you, what are your thoughts on that? And how's it? Yeah, I, I think that that's amazing. Uh, Quasi, what you, what you just shared, because, you know, our past does uh, shape us, you know, what we see as we grow up. So my parents, uh, you know, my, my parents were very high achievers. They were athletes. Um, they worked super hard. So they weren't very, well, my, my mom was, my father, I was just going to the, the, the male portion of my father. Wasn't, wasn't, he wasn't affectionate, right? He never told me I, he loved me. He never hugged me, but you know, just watching him, watching him come home every day or, or come home every weekend with a trophy because they dominated the sports that they played. Mm-hmm. Plus, they went out and they they worked two jobs and 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 grew through those jobs. And they always, you know, instilled you got to work hard, you got to work hard, which I definitely shaped me into becoming a professional athlete for sure. Because they didn't really say anything; it was just I just saw it. Like I, that's all I grew up with, right? But I didn't get that love from my father. Right. So as I'm growing up now, I'm getting older, you know, just just trying to find myself. I realize that, you know, there's assets that I can keep from when I was younger, which is the work ethic, the the you know, all of the all of the things that my parents instilled in me, my father instilled in me. And then there's defects that I can get rid of. Right. I had a lot of defects. I, you know, it was it was an addiction for a while. I suicidal, all of those things that happened to me when I was thirty nine. So finding knowing that okay these are the great things like instead of looking back and going oh all these negative things that my dad did this my mom did this they used to do this they used to do this i've learned as i'm getting older because i want to change i want to consistently grow i want to consistently morph i want to consistently transform to become a better man a husband a father uh, you know a leader in the community so i have to continuously peel back onions right got to continuously like kind of keep going to that core of when i was born cuz i was a great kid when i was born i'm sure um but in order to continue to do that i have to keep those assets and 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 work on those defects so although my past does still shape me it's the good part of the past that i hold on to mm-hmm. and i actually let go i actually you know okay 
Yes, my dad didn't hug me. Yes, my dad didn't say he loved me, but I'm a hugger. I'm a kisser. And every time I see my dad, I hug him and I kiss him and I tell him I love, I, I love him because it is very uncomfortable for him. And I love watching that uncomfortableness. Like, you know, he's just kind of like, yeah. And I'm like, come here, dad, give me, give me a kiss. So, you know, just, I love that. you know, being able to just forgive. Okay, hey, this is where he was. This is what he knew. But that doesn't mean I have to do that. And that doesn't mean I have to be angry at him yeah. uh, about that. Well, that's very powerful. Alan, I, you, you look like you were leaning in there. Oh, actually, it's just because I'm sitting on boxes and it's uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Funk, that was beautiful. You know, I appreciate that. Love. Love is something that I've, I've had a hard time with. I've had a hard time loving self and I've had a hard time loving others. Uh, the, the, the reality for me is I, I was raised in a loving home. Um, however, about 10 years ago, uh, I started getting my flashbacks and recalled that I was, I was being sexually abused throughout my entire childhood. And so I really don't have um, memories before grade six, but I grew up in, in small towns of Saskatchewan. When I say small, it was four and a half roads, small, 230 people. My identity was one where I, I hid behind my smile. There's, there's a great line that says, all it takes is a beautiful fake smile to hide an injured soul. And those were the words of the late Robin Williams. And that was me. You know, the world was my stage. The problem was when my challenges with mental illness surfaced in grade eight. I was like, where, where do you go with that? It wasn't modeled that you can be vulnerable, that you can talk about your pain. So I suppressed it. And that's where the problems came in, whether it was the self-harm, the life of addiction, you know, trying to live outside of self so I didn't have to be with self. And learning how to have a relationship with myself and others has been incredibly challenging. I am very, very passionate about empowering people to find their voice because I know what it feels like to have lost my voice and I know what it feels like to have found it. And that's why I have so much mad respect for each and every one of you because you found it. Not only did you find it, you've embraced it and you use it. Well, I'm Gareth. Yeah, I think the a big impact in my life and something we can all be aware of is it's not always what is said to you, but it's what you subconsciously do. So I grew up in a house where unintentionally my self-worth was was like in the gutter. And and it wasn't through the way like my, my family supported me and you know they congratulated me. And, you know, much like funk, I didn't have a lot of emotional expression from my dad, but there was still support there and it always felt supportive. However, my mum is uh, very much a perfectionist and there was a, there was a underlying tone of everything not being enough, just silly things like making your bed and then having somebody do it straight after you because it wasn't straight enough and flat enough. And it's things like that. I think we, ne we don't notice if our awareness and, you know, we spoke about awareness already. If our awareness is not at that point where, we're impacting the people around us, we start to embed this message. And that's something that I didn't really click in. I always thought my childhood was great and I didn't have any, no issues. But then when I look back now, I realized that was just things going on that weren't intentional, but really affected me. And mm -hmm. now I live out a life where nothing's good enough. And I've got, a, you know, a, an issue with, you know, not being enough and my ego and everything that surrounds that. And that's a really hard thing to, to keep in check and keep your awareness about.
And uh, Gareth, I'm going to just stick with you as I just, I want to talk about the, just continue this um, theme around relationships because, you know, relationships came out in a theme here in terms of how, you know, those have impacted us and, um, and helped us. And so all of you have at some point or other talked to me about your significant other, the women in your life. And I think that that's, uh, it's, as a woman myself, it's, uh, it's actually really quite beautiful. You know, I've actually wanted to meet them all, you know, and some of them I know. Um, but Gareth, maybe you could talk about Nikki and the impact that she's had and even just the, the dynamics between male and female and, and what's, you know, what your relationship has, uh, how it's evolved. Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, first of all, there's there's two big things that stand out for me when I look back over the last 15 years or so is number one, space. Somebody that can give you unlimited space to be who you are. And I don't literally mean space like I try and get rid of her all the time. But I mean space, emotional space and uh, uh, an environment where I can be me, which I, I literally didn't have until I was 20 six years old. Mm -hmm. So she gave me that. She also taught me a lot about unconditional love and what that looks like. Whereas I never felt that was like I mentioned about the perfectionism in my relationships growing up is I didn't feel there was unconditional love. It was, if it's good enough, there's a lot of love. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's something that was, you know, I was very, very, very fortunate to find in a partner. Mm -hmm. So it, that's kind of where I guess my relationships had the biggest impact because it's helped me become a better man tell me become a parent a better parent and being able to show that and, and just for me to be able to show up vulnerably and never be judged for mm. who i am and the way i am and, and you mentioned about dynamics we have an interesting dynamic because if you look at the typical masculine and feminine traits mm -hmm. we're actually quite the opposite in our house which is uh, interesting for me i grew up in a world of group fitness in an environment where there was lots of women in the in the space I was in mm. and I felt more comfortable and, and I always felt like I leant towards the more, uh, the more feminine and I'm going to say feminine in the typical sense. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and actually strange enough, I ended up with a daughter who's very feminine and likes to do all of the girl stuff. And I'm so comfortable in that. But again, I've been given that space. I've never been made to feel less than in my relationship because of that. And Nikki's totally okay being the, uh, the brash loud one and, um, and having more of the masculine traits and just letting me, you know, do my thing and vice versa. That's a very interesting dynamic for sure. And thank you for sharing because there's not yeah, a lot. I don't think there's a lot of men that would admit to that, you know. No. Um, one of the things that I kind of, Gareth, um, spoke to me and, and Funk, maybe as you talk about yourself and, and even Angela, is I know in my marriage, like I, I came in as a broken human. I've had to learn to become whole in marriage. And it's really, really difficult, right? And um, But what's been your experience in terms of, um, where you were as a human and how you've evolved in your marriage. Yeah. So um, for me, before I would never wanted to get married specifically during my descent in life um, because I was hurt from a woman, right? I was hurt. She left me uh, because I wasn't having sex. And I didn't realize that that was the, like, I didn't realize that, 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 you know, what the problem was. I didn't know what the problem was, but when someone blindsides you and just leaves you and tells you exactly why, it hurts. So, you know, I, just like uh, Alan was talking about kind of like putting on the smile, I put on the mask, right? I put on my ma my man mask and, and started to go down the, the, you know, strip joints and, you know, after hours and just these, the all the sexual places that you can go to kind of try to bring that manhood up. And, um, you know, they just let me down to other things. But 
my goal was never to get married. And, and I really like wanted to stick with that. But then all of a sudden one night at, at a club, Angela comes, comes waltzing in actually her sister is like, Hey, I'm doing your workouts. And then Angela kind of pops up and unbeknownst to me, she had been looking in uh, on online on Facebook and seeing, Oh, this guy does Muay Thai. Oh, this guy just came back from Thailand. Oh, this guy does fitness. Oh, he should be my boyfriend. He should be my boyfriend. And I didn't know this, but that first night that we were together, I knew that, Oh, this is going to be my wife. Like right from there, that was, that was something that I'd already known. And so Throughout the last 12 years, you know, one of the one of the key things for us, and I think is why we have such a strong, but like everyone, I shouldn't say everyone hates our, us, but like we're very lovey-dovey. We're very like, we're like this, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like we are so uh, strong together because we we value each other. We support each other. We set each other up for wins. You know, we we like, we're just, we are our own, each other's champion. And, um, but that's, I think, because we've, our value systems are exactly the same. Like we value health. So even in our marriage vows, our marriage vows, we said, Hey, you know what? Our number one thing is, is health and, and making sure we're healthy. And if one, you know, is starts putting on weight, we can call each other fat. And like, we were literally saying this in our wedding vows. It's crazy. But our whole life, we have been, we have been going down that path and growing with each other and, and my ability to be vulnerable with her. And we talk about everything. And, uh, but the value systems is the most important thing because when we do have the same value, it's much, much easier to respect what each other is doing and why they're doing it or why we're not doing it. But yeah, she's definitely been, uh, and, and just, yeah, just giving me that space, just like Gareth said, giving me the space to, to grow. Right. And and I do the exact same, which is that, uh, that respect that we have for each other. That's really mega huge. And, you know, I, um, um, Alan, you shared um, about your relationship and how that has really evolved your life. And um, what's coming up for you? So anytime someone got too close to me, I got rid of them. Hmm. And, uh, you know, they'd be, you know, scratching their head. Well, what did I do wrong? Nothing. It was never about you. I, I I felt as though if someone got too close, they'd figure out the pain and, and the shame that we, uh, resided within. Mm-hmm. And yeah, oh, and Keiichi, you're right. The, uh, Tanya was my game changer. I met her when I was active in my addiction. She had two boys who were six and nine. And um, I guess they taught me love because they, they loved me for me. And I felt felt like I could just take off that mask. Mm-hmm. And I ended up moving from Edmonton to Saskatoon in with Tanya and her two boys when I was three months sober. You know, I, I, I threw my last cigarette out in Lloyd Minster halfway through. And it was very much like a, a tough love approach, which I needed. It, it was like, if you want this, you have to stay sober. If you go back to those old behaviors, everything around you is gone. And I swear, if I if if there would have been an out, I would have taken it because it, life is hard. I just I just find life hard. But that was my my saving grace. And sometimes we need people to believe in us more than we believe in ourselves. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and I mean that was that was that was Tanya. I, geez, like I I show up with this lemon of a car, mm-hmm. a couple boxes to my name, $40,000 of debt after just finishing two degrees, um, no job. Like, wow, what a prize. <laughs> but there was a belief. Um, and, you know, we've grown together and 13 years, like 13 years. It's crazy. Wow. 
But the challenge I think is, is, uh, and I alluded to this earlier, I just, my mental health, it, it has its swings. And the, the, the thing I'm most grateful for is that Tanya recognizes things within myself before I do. And she's the one who often encourages me and empowers me to go get help. Mm. Uh, the challenge is for her, how does she not fall when I fall? How does she regain that control? And that dynamic is something that we continuously work on. But yep, I am I am beyond, beyond uh, grateful. Well, Tanya. Quasi. <laughs> I, I'm just a student of you gentlemen here, honestly, uh, Funk, Alan, Gareth. I hope we can stay connected and remain friends because as men and as, you know, spouses, I'm learning so much from you. Gareth, when you said you gravitated towards the feminine and you had the role reversal and you're okay opening up and admitting that, I kind of feel the same thing uh, that, you know, my wife is the one that calls people out and is really the fire. And I have a police officer background, so I'm supposed to be the confrontational, you know, go get them person. But I'm so chill, so much so that sometimes she's like, come on, let's go, let's go. But <laughs> I just love that about her. So I just love that you mentioned that. Uh, Funk, when you said you used, um, I'm going to phrase it differently than you did when you said using sexual prowess as a sign of strength, right? You went for sexual gratification or whatever to show that you were a man and i think a lot of men have a trouble with that and i know that that's something that i had trouble with being younger i thought you know if i tell you i'm dating three four women at a time you're gonna think i'm a stronger man and that was all my definition was but i think i looked to my dad and maybe that's why i became that uh so i really resonate with that and alan when you said that you threw people away when they got too close to you and I think when people get too close to us, it forces us to either get rid of them or work on ourselves. And I was like that as well. Like I, I think I dated at a surface level so that I wouldn't have to work on myself. And the biggest thing with me now, I realize um, marriage is about working on yourself. Sounds selfish, but you know, uh, when I think, oh, you know, Cindy's not doing this or not doing that, I'm like, okay, well, how have I been? not up to snuff enough in our relationship. And as soon as I switched and I put the mirror on myself, any kind of animosities or something she may have done that kind of annoyed me disappears because I just work on myself. And I think that's something that's worked for me when it comes to working on relationship, because I feel that so many relationships I've been engaged three times, married twice, and I don't want to do that anymore. So I got to work on becoming the best version of myself. That's beautiful. I love the yeah. fact that you interwove it. So you're getting the benefit of going last on some of these questions there, Casey. So, so fun. With a platform of 18,000 men, and I think some of what's coming out of here is redefining masculinity, right? I think, Gareth, you did that in your last response, and Casey, you know, kind of resonated with him. So what have you find works to help encourage in open conversations with men? Like, Alan's probably one of the most um open about mental health that i've ever actually i've interviewed a number of men um on the podcast around mental health but alan you have honestly have taken it to a level that i'm so appreciative for your vulnerability and your openness and i think it really does help but you know funk with eighteen thousand men that you seem to work with what what helps yeah so um 
the first thing that helps, like, you know, our, my goal is to transform these guys into an over 40 alpha. That's what, that's what we call them over 40 alphas, right? Because the major thing for us is as a man, we're, we're here to provide, protect and procreate. And we have to understand those three things as us, because if we're not in the provision and providing, not just like for ourselves, but for whomever it is around us, whether it's our wives, our kids, what have you, we're not consistently putting ourselves in a place that we can provide and grow. Then that's one, that's one part of the, 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 the triage that's not getting filled. The protect, we need to protect. We need to, you know, listen, when, when, I can't know if I can swear, but when stuff hits the fan, right? First of all, as we get older, we're automatically going to become the patriarchs of the family, period. Like, that's just how it works. Not even if we want to be. We may be like, oh, I'm here. But then all of a sudden, people start dying around, and you're getting older. Now, when stuff hits the fan, they're looking to you, right? You're, oh, what do we do here? What do we do here? What do we do here? We need to be as healthy as we possibly can in our 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s to be that protector, the protector of our kingdom, whether it's our, our wives, our kids, the people around us, the community. Like, we need to be able to protect, but we can't do that, you know, when we're totally out of shape. We're not taking care of ourselves mentally, physically, emotionally. We're not doing the things that keep us growing, specifically as we get older, because I deal with men in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s who need to be the role models for the younger generation coming up, their kids, their grandchildren. If they can't do it, then they're, they're, th- this this it doesn't work. As, uh, as Alan says, walking the walk, right? We've got to walk the walk. So that's the protection mode. Because again, when when you're out with your wife, and somebody comes up to them and starts talking crap or or starts, you know, slapping him on the butt. What are you going to do? <laughs> if you don't have confidence in yourself because you're a healthy man and you have confidence, whether it's to de, whether it's to de-escalate or what have you, then there's nothing really you can do. Like nothing. And so that's scary for your wife. That's scary for your kids. And that should be scary for 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 a man. And then of course procreate. So, you know, we're we're in our 40s, 50s, 60s and beyond. So procreation. Well, actually I shouldn't say that because I have a lot of guys who are just having kids right now because they've got that 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 testosterone, they've got their health back, and all of a sudden now they're a 40-year-old. It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> it is not even I'm not even joking. Tell them to put and that then stuff also back. <laughs> procreating also means that connection with with your significant other right because now i also have guys who are getting married right like guys who've completely transformed their bodies completely transformed their health look totally different and now they're they're looking for for that that connection that significant other and so procreation now more becomes you know uh, uh, just just developing that that strong sexual relationship with your wife or your significant other, you know, and, and just growing that. And, and again, procreating, keeping that lineage. So that's where we start. But there's a lot of virtues that you have to live by in order to become the over 40 alpha and over, over, in order to be that alpha. You guys are talking about the masculinity, both Quasi and, and, uh, and Gareth. But I don't see... The feminine, like I don't, when you guys are talking about I'm taking the feminine, feminine role, I don't see that. I see you guys as providers, protectors, and procreators. You're just, the way you got, you're a little bit more stoic. You're a little bit more pull back. Like my wife is the same. Like she's a, like, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't take shit, man. Like she will, she will. You know what I mean? But I'm I'm just like, okay, well, just let's assess the situation first. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, I'm all game. I'm a ride or die with you, but I'm not gonna go, you know, that's that's what she does. But that doesn't mean that I'm more not masculine. Like I think the two of you guys are extremely masculine. I think sometimes 
the way people act, like if you're not rah, 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 which to me is not, that's more, you know, that's not, a, that's, I don't think rah, rah, rah means you're masculine. I think it's the, the virtues and how you are as a man. So I think that that kind of gets blurred and like, well, you know, I'm a little bit, I love my, you know, I do things with my, with my daughter and stuff like that. It's like, oh, that's amazing. Like that's still, you're still a man. It's just, but that's just, you know, that's where I look at. It. I think the two of you are, are leaders as men and masculinity and showing that that is still being masculine. You can still be, you know, this way or, or that's cause we're all different, but you can still take on that role of, of being, being a masculine man. I don't know where I was going with that, but <laughs> I'm going to put a period. <laughs> Hard stop. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's funny because I, I see it, I see it a little bit differently as well. Like I kind of understood what Gareth and Quasi were coming from because I think it's really like femininity, masculinity is really like if we just take it away from gender, right? There's there's sets and attributes, right, and behaviors and and roles. Um, I still think as a as a masculine male. There are, you could have feminine attributes in certain situations, like when you're taking care of your children or this, any other. So I, I think it's just these roles that we weave in and out of. I think the power that I felt with Gareth and Quasi also is you're, you, you admitting that you play those roles, right? Like a lot of men will not use the word femininity <laughs> to describe, you know, how they show up in certain um, circumstances or situations, right? And so I, I, you know, I agree with both, like both angles. You are masculine men, like, <laughs> and but there's these attributes and roles that you've identified as part of who you are. That I think is actually nice to hear that that you that you're confident to be able to say that and and ride and ride in that confidence. I think that's uh, cool. Yeah. It's the lion and the lamb. You need to you need to know when to be the lion, and, and you need to know when to be the lamb. And that's all it is. If you know how to how to how to you know switch between those two, and you can only switch between those two if you have if you are comfortable with your masculinity and you're comfortable with yourself, then it doesn't matter. Yeah, Alan, you came off mute. Uh, Funk, that sounds like a great title of the next book: The Lion and the Lamb. Uh, yeah, I'm really passionate about redefining what it means to be strong. Oh. The last year, I have done so many speaking engagements in the mining and construction industry, industries that are dominated by men. I really believe that vulnerability equals strength. There are well, there are a lot of resources around mental health, but you know what the number one resource is? Uh, that would be you. Like what I'm saying is your story matters. Mm. And I think that nothing connects us more than someone's story. The way to help people to be vulnerable is by being vulnerable ourselves. Two incredibly powerful words are me too. Mm. Like the moment that I started to share my story and people start coming up to me and connecting, what? I mean, I, I saw none of that. I saw none of that happening. The last book that I wrote on men and mental health featured other men who have struggled, but who have lived a life of resiliency and hope. Mm. And I mean, one of the guys, geez, Murray, Murray Drew is his name. He, he, he said, I would rather die than ask for help. Mm. And that's where a lot mm. of men are. The, the truth is that barriers still exist because of those old scripts that we were taught as young boys. And collectively, what we're doing today is we're just paving a new way. It was alluded to earlier. And I was doing an event, uh, we called it Creating Moccasin Trails. 
paving the new way. The next generation is always watching. Boys are training to be men. And that's what we're doing. And it's an, it, it it's pretty mind-blowing, to, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, so talking about story sharing, um, Quasi and Gareth, I want you to, I want to actually put into your, into, into a question out to you around cultural backgrounds, right? And the, the effects that culture plays on, on just being men in society. And Gareth, you talked about growing up in the UK and Quasi, you know, maybe you could talk about like from a, from a black male, um, some of the cultural um, influences that, that play in this. So I'll start with you, Gareth. Yeah, for sure. So in the UK growing up, and I think this will be somewhat fairly typical just from my experiences, and it's been a long time since I lived there, but growing up, it was very, very normal for dads to be out at work. Mm. And my dad's, you know, in a, in a physical, in a physical job, he was out doing that job for 12 hours a day. So there wasn't, um, there wasn't much of a presence within my household. Like I spent a lot of time with my mum. Um, you know, she was there a lot of the time with us. My dad was, was, was there and, you know, supportive when he was there. So I think from, I just think that's very typical when you look at growing up, there's a very like stiff kind of uh, the British stiff upper lip, right? And there's a lot of masking of everything, but particularly when what we're talking about masculinity, but you look at anything, people don't talk about stuff. And that's what I grew up in. And and, and I'm sure that models in, in many different cultures, but it's just very typical. And it's still like that now. I still have that with my parents and people, even people that still live there that I grew up with that have this real it's just not the done thing to do. And, um, and I'm actually very grateful that I feel like I'm in an environment now living in Canada where it's a little bit more open. It's a bit more accepted to talk about these things mm-hmm. as it should be. Um, so that was kind of my biggest influence. And, you know, as I said, I think the, the role of the man being the provider in the typical sense and being the protector in the typical sense to, to, to back off of what um, what Funk was saying, and, and you know, to to piggyback off of Alan as well, the way we redefine that, I think, is we continue to provide, protect, procreate, but we also need to understand that they're mental, physical, and emotional, mm. not just physical. Because I think we see it as we go out, we work, we bring money home, we're the strong person in our family, and we make sure the doors are locked tonight. And if anyone comes in, like we're the first person. That's what I was taught you know, with just role modeling, but it's more than that. Like I need to emotionally provide for my daughter. I spoke about this last week. Um, and I know Funk enjoyed this bit. Uh, I have to emotionally provide for my daughter and, and change that cultural thing that I was brought up with because I want her to be armed with everything. I want her to be able to protect herself with her view of the world, mm-hmm. right? Not just the the ability to, you know, kick someone in the nuts if she needs to, <laughs> right? So there's, there's, there's that side of it. So I'm going off a bit of a tangent, but that's where I kind of see it changing and where we can kind of evolve it to hook it into the last question because it's it doesn't have to be, it doesn't just have to be black and white with, you know, what that provider and protector looks like in our culture is it can be more than that. And, and these conversations are hopefully opening up the pathways to that happening. And Gary, can you give an example of like what that emotional kind of conversation or support would uh, look like with your daughter? Yeah, for sure. I think for me, a big one that always stands out is I've always, always remind myself and, you know, 
to go back on being uh, being present from earlier on is being present and realizing that I'm the first male relationship my daughter has. Mm-hmm. And and for the most part, really the only, you know, for the initial first years, she goes to daycare and to school and goes to camps. It's predominantly women in those environments. So I'm that first relationship. So for me, that that providing and protecting emotionally is to say, this is how I'm going to treat you. Mm-hmm. This is how you should expect to be treated. This is also how I treat your mom. You're going to see that and you're going to expect that. So when you go out there in the world, and I referred to this last week as it's kind of like the modern day equivalent of buying a shotgun when you have a daughter, because like when boys come to the door, you can scare them off. Well, I'm not going to need that shotgun because she's going to have all the tools to go. Mm. Hell no, you don't treat me like that. This is how I need to be treated yeah. and how I deserve to be treated. So that's a, a, a big thing that really sticks out for me and something that I have to constantly remind myself of that I'm role modeling that every day in our house. And you're so true about what you stated. My dad was my first love. And I mean, he's really the only man that is lovely, like so unconditionally, like just like in its truest form. And I lost him last year and it's been heartbreaking, right? Like, it's just, I miss him. I miss that. There's nothing I could do. (laughs) My dad (laughs) didn't love, you know what I mean? Like no, no failure I had like made or that he just didn't really accept and just sit in the mud with me on, you know? And so you are right about that for a woman. And, you know, so Kwesi is, um, as a black man, it's funny, just as I was preparing for this and I was testing some of the questions I want to ask with my Jamaican husband, <laughs> but he was actually really cool. He's and funk. My next question, we're going to go into the talk around testicular and, and prostate and cancer and, and, and men's health checkups. But, you know, crazy before that, I was, I was like, do you and your dudes, like, do you guys talk about it? Like, you know, but uh, you know, what's your perspective on, on that as a black man? Um, are you talking about getting checks for, just, for cancers yeah, just and whatnot? General, just talking about men's health, right? Like, do you sit oh, around uh, with your... Um, yeah, yeah, men's health. Um, no, no, well, to the <laughs> to your point, I mean, we don't talk about it, I think, enough, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of, of race. I mean, I have friends of all cultures, and, you know, we don't talk about it. Now, I'm approaching 50 now, so maybe the conversations will start to happen more, but... Um, I come from a policing background, and when I got into the RCMP, part of the testing to get in was to get the whole prostate test. And so I ended up having to do it multiple times before I got into the force. So it became a normalized conversation because everybody did it. Mm -hmm. And I think normalizing is the key to getting anything more accepted when i wrote my first book at the book launch i had a lot of friends from my childhood there and none of them knew authors except for me so they were like oh crazy oh my gosh i can't believe you wrote a book let me buy it and they were so excited but i can count i know about 15 authors (laughs) um and it was normal for me i'm like yeah my buddy down the road you know he's a speaker and probably all of you i think have written books so the crowds that i hang out in made writing a book normal for me and when we talk about mental health, it becomes normal. When we talk about getting a prostate exam or getting, you know, different things checked out, if we normalize the conversation, then that's the only way it's going to become more accepted to talk about these things. So that's kind of my perspective on it. Um, Policing is notorious for not talking about going for help. 
it's still a stigma for a police officer to see a psychologist. Because once I go and see a psychologist, people look at me and like, okay, Quasi's not really fit for promotion because he's dealing with his mental stuff. Mm. And it's starting to get better, but the it's like slowest in the policing profession. Yeah. Um, and it needs to be talked about more. I even suggested that uh, yearly or every couple of years, police officers should be mandated to see a psychologist. Mm-hmm. It should be a regular thing that you all have to do mm-hmm. so that we just kind of get into the office and say, you know, you went to see your shrink today. You went to see your psychologist today. Yeah. Okay, cool, yeah. cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we can just all talk about it and normalize that as well. And yeah, normalization. I think that's the key to everything. And it's such a good segue because, Funk, I think a lot of the work that you are doing is around normalizing it. And I know you have National Testosterone Day, uh, Awareness Day, um, coming up. Um, You know, we want to talk about your experience with that and and the work that you're doing. Yeah, so uh, just to double up on what Alan said about vulnerability, um, you know, and, and, and that's how you make it okay to, to talk, right? Like when we as men um, have platforms to be able to share or do teach or coach or whatever it is, it's the vulnerability that we allow for ourselves that will start to you'll start to see more and more guys do that. Because again, I'm dealing with the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70 year old guys who are from the old school where you hide everything, you put everything. It's weak. If you show, you know, uh, any sign of weakness, you're a weak man. If you talk about, you know, all of these things. And so I need to, my goal is to help change that in a way where, okay, well, I have to just, I'm, I'm extremely vulnerable. Like the most powerful person in the room is the one who everyone knows what he's done. Everyone knows his stuff, like has nothing to hide because I'm sitting in the back of the room, which is generally always me. And I'm just sitting back with, you know, I'm just chill because, Hey, what are you going to say about me? That not all these, everyone else doesn't know. Like everyone knows this man. So, you know, I'm cool. And, uh, and then the people who just gravitate, you gravitate towards you. And I think what happens with men is they're just afraid that if I like, like Quizzy said, you know, if you show any weakness specifically in, in, in the police force or firefighting or anything where it's like, trauma like trauma like that's ptsd like to the to the limits for what you what you guys have to see and 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 do um you know it's it's that should be where it it it, you know that that you're you should be allowed to speak about that but but uh to talk about testosterone you know that is one of the key reasons why um you know not key but that's a major reason why a lot of men do commit suicide at the age groups 40s 50s 60s because testosterone is is the number one male hormone and it's responsible for everything it's responsible for when when we talk about you know mental health it's responsible for our mood it's responsible for the drive it's responsible for confidence it's responsible for energy like when your t levels are low you you don't feel like doing anything like you're so susceptible to depression to stress like because you you don't that's the power that allows us to get up every day and go okay i got this let's go let's go get this done that's that's what drives us to have you know the the confidence to do things the confidence to share the confidence to fail okay i failed at that no problem i'm learned from it and i'll keep going but when you don't have that you a most guys just don't know that that's what's causing you know all of all of those those issues but then of course there's the physical issues where you know no sex drive uh you know you have that belly fat so more estrogen you're more estrogenic um and you are susceptible to so many chronic illnesses so testosterone although guys don't really look at it that way they look at it more like bodybuilding they don't look at it like hey this is like this is me like if i don't if my t levels are low it's over and i've spoken to so many men 
who had very low T levels and they were at the brink of suicide because they just didn't know what was happening with their body. And then some of them got testosterone replacement therapy, which I, I don't, I'm not an advocate of, I'm an advocate of doing everything naturally. Um, and, uh, but, but when they saw, when they got that, it was like, Oh my God, it was like an injection of like, like just, just being more of myself. I, I was able to get out of the bed. I was able to do that. And so that power of testosterone, but the other thing about men is that we don't like going to the doctors, right? We don't like going to, to, most guys don't want to go to the doctors. Most guys don't want to know the truth, what's going on. Ah, you know, it's okay. I'll just deal with it. I'll deal with it. You know, I'll go later or then never, never end up going. So you never know what's actually happening with your cholesterol, with your blood pressure, you know, with, with your testosterone levels until something happens. You have a stroke, you have a heart attack, you know, you go, you end up going to the doctor for some reason, cause your wife's pushing you and the doctor's saying, Oh, you got high blood pressure. Your cholesterol levels are high, blah, blah, blah. And now it's like, oh my God, I got to do something. And God bless, it's not too late, but we have to make that a regular thing. So for me, because testosterone for me in in, in the, my program and, and what I do is like the number one thing, it's like, yes, you're coming in to lose weight and work out, but it's actually to naturally increase your testosterone levels and live that life of nutrition, sleeps, keeping your stress levels low and, and, and all those other things. And, and, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, workouts, the type of workouts that you do, you know, the recovery that you have, all of the things that most guys don't really do. Right. And so, um, that's, that's really the, aside from them changing into the alpha man, that is the key. So, in our program, it's every three months. You got to go get your testosterone levels checked, share it with people, you know, guys coming in with 200 nanograms per deciliter and seeing them slowly increase. And because I had the exact same problem of these guys had, I had all of those problems before. So it, it, it enables them and allows them to go and get all of these things checked. And the more they start going to the doctor, the more they become proactive, right? They're not leaving it as a reactive. It's like, okay, oh yeah, I got to get my prostate done. I mean, do I really have to get my prostate done? Yeah, man, go, don't worry. We all have to get it done. Like just be your man. So just, just, just get it done. No care. Who cares? Right? Like, you know, that's uncomfortable for most guys to, to have to do, but the more people are doing it. And that's why we have that community of guys who like, communicate with each other we don't talk religion we don't talk politics we don't talk pop culture we don't talk any of that crap it's only about health and and and, and we're all on the same journey so that allows that connection there's already a connection and so um it is so important guys to go get go to the doctor and get all of your blood work done because at least even if it's all horrible at least you know where you are and you know that okay it's all horrible now okay now now i know that this is this is the bottom I can only go from up here and I need to, because I have to be there for my family. So I, I created national testosterone day because there was nothing that talks because testosterone gets a, a negative rep, right? Like being a man gets a negative rep, but it's actually everything for us. Like if we don't have it, it's over. So November 17th, national testosterone day <laughs> awareness day. Yeah. I'll just add, I was just sitting here listening, taking in all this knowledge and just kind of, to piggyback off Funk, what you were saying, and Kwesi, the same thing with the that stigma around asking for help. And it just made me think. So picture this. Uh, if you've been in and you've worked out or you've seen someone work out or you, you'll know what I'm talking about, you've got, you know, your last set of bench press to do and you want to throw a few more pounds on your bench press. We as men don't have any issue asking someone to spot us. Why? Because that person spotting us helps us get that extra rep and it helps us get stronger. 
So what happens when we get help for, you know, our mental health? We talk to someone, we get help and help us with what action points to take, right? Build our testosterone. Like all of these things, this makes us stronger as men. We build our mental, physical, and emotional strength. So we can do it in the gym on a bench press or a squat, but we can't ask for, you know, the doctor's help or another friend's help. So it just just makes it ironic. It's just ironic to me that we can do it in one environment because it's socially acceptable, right? So it kind of backs up everything else we've been talking about today. Um, I had a, I was fortunate to speak at a prostate fundraiser actually a couple of years ago. And it's often the partner who empowers the man to go get help, right? Uh, here's another thing that I just want to allude to. I, when in addiction, you don't care about that stuff. But when I was able to become sober and I met with a doctor and I had the prostate exam done, I can't even explain the emotions that it created within because that actually was the catalyst for me to remember all the sexual abuse. And I'll tell you this, um, that has been the most difficult thing in my life to battle. When I started to get those memories, like, where do you go with that? You don't, you don't call up the guys and be like, Hey, this is what I'm dealing with. Um, and so what I found is that once I started just to allude to the fact that I was sexually abused, it gave other, other men permission to just say me too. And what I have found is that that in itself is one of the biggest barriers that prevents men from going for that annual physical because of how uncomfortable it is. And I'm sharing this because I think that we have to look at the barriers. If we want to, if we want to have a solution, we have to look at, at the why. And that for me and many of the men I know has become one of the why. But all of you have said this, the power of community. That's my saving grace. Get into the rooms where other men can understand you, whatever that challenge is. Because when I get into trouble is when I swear I'm the only one going through it. And that's not true. And the more that you put yourself out there, the more you realize there's this entire army of men who will hold you up. Okay. So first of all, we've been going for almost 50 something minutes. And uh, so I'm letting everyone that's listening, this is part one of a part two. And I'm really, really excited to, uh, to share part two of this, uh, this amazing panel. But uh, I do have to, I want to close it. I want to close it with intention. And so, um, in the past 50 minutes, you have all shared some really, really, in some cases, some really deep and personal parts of your life. And so, but I also want to know what you have gained from this last 50 minutes together. I know, Quasi, you shared, I'm going to start with you. Um, but what have you just even gained from the 50 minutes? Oh, wow. <laughs> Put that in a, in a few sentences, eh? Uh, just... The fact that we need to connect, that's the big thing for me. I, I'm an introvert by nature. I know I'm a professional speaker, but I'm an introvert. It seems to not <laughs> yeah. go together. Uh, but I like recharging by myself. Networking events scare me. You know, it's just something I know I need to do. And when I get into conversations like this, I'm like taking notes. I'm like looking up things that you guys are mentioning. And I realize I get stronger by being around other strong men and, of course, women uh, who talk about this stuff. Um, so I, I want to be a part of as much of this as possible. I actually got jealous when I heard Gareth and Funk run a discussion last week. I'm like, where was my invite? I know you didn't know me that well back then, but you know, um, I, I just love being connected and learning from, from people like you. 
I love it. And Gareth, what has the uh, last 50 minutes meant to, meant to you? I mean, it's hugely impactful. Every one of these conversations is is so important. And, you know, to to just echo what Crazy said, it, community, other people that other people that support me and other people that give me space, like I mentioned that, you know, in my relationship and, and everyone in my networks, I need those people around me to, to be better. And also a big thing for me, whenever I have these conversations, and I've thought about this a lot the last week or so, is it's it's okay for me to embrace the parts of masculinity that scare me. Uh, that's my biggest, biggest takeaway mm. from the last 50 minutes. Alan? Oh, uh, you know, so I was pumped with all these pharmaceutical pills for all these years. And then I said, F that, not doing that again. But two weeks ago, I realized, like, I, I got to do something. Um, so I'm sharing this because these these new this new medication for me makes me so fuzzy in the morning. And this morning I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't really feel like I can step up to the plate. I want to be authentic. I don't know. My point is I'm so grateful that I did. The two takeaways are community and connection. Mm. Um, it's, it's just, it's, there's so many of us doing this. You know, it's like at the end of the day, we're just walking each other home, trying to make this a better, a better place. So I'm very that. grateful. I'm grateful. Thank you. And Funk? Yeah, that's all, everything that all of you have said have been amazing. I've learned so much. I respect you all. And, and we're definitely going to do part two and definitely do something outside of this, I'm sure. Um, but the one thing that I, uh, I learned and I continue to embrace is that, uh, Listen, I, I work with men in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, beyond. So, you know, the the goal for, for me and for you guys is to start sharing your story, just like Alan said. You know, take one friend of yours, go up to him, hug him, tell him how much you love him, and share something with him that he may not know. Share your struggles with people. Listen, at our age right? At our age, 40, 50, 60, all of us have something that we've had to go through all of us. So nothing is like, you know, anytime I share my stuff or whatever, and people are just like, Oh, oh I didn't really know that about you. Yeah. You know what I got like the me too thing. It always, always happens. I did it yesterday. I'm on my, on my, on my coaching call, you know, I shared my story and it's like, man, that was so great. I'm so happy you did that. And then all of a sudden a flood of the stories started to, to flood in, into the, into the comments and again, it's just, it starts to empower people. Um, we just have to start sharing. We have to be vulnerable. We have to stay outside our comfort zone. And that includes me. I continue to to push myself and just live outside my comfort zone and be okay with it. Whether I fail or whether, you know, listen, I don't care if people like me or not. That's the one thing that I had to shed. Um, you know, I don't care. But the people who do are the ones that I'm going to ride and die with you. And I love you and I'm going to stick by you. So thank you so much for being here. And I can't wait wow. for the next one. And we are next week. Next week, you all tune okay. in for, for part two. And uh, where we'll de de uh, delve deeper into addressing the fear factor. We'll talk about the role of media and also just continue the conversation about fostering a supportive, a supportive environment around all of us. As it relates to men's health. So thank you so much to the four of you. I am so grateful to have started this conversation and I look forward to continuing it. But for now, for everyone that's listening, this is where, sadly, I have to say, we're out. And y'all need to say bye-bye. 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 <laughs> See ya. Bye. Take care. <laughs> 
There you have it. I trust you are feeling more empowered in your skin. As the late Dr. Maya Angelou said, when you get, you give, when you learn, you teach. So it would mean so much for us at EIMS if you would share this episode and tag us or teach an insight that you took from today's episode on your socials and tag us. Feel free to leave us a review over at iTunes and follow us on social media at Empowered of My Skin. Finally, remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. See you soon.